Turn to Romans chapter 8. If you aren't convinced of it yet, I hope you will be till I get done. If you're not, there's something wrong with you. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8. I'm going to start reading at verse 31. Read down through the end of the chapter. Romans 8, verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? And of course, what he's referring to is what we looked at last week, that God works all things together for good to them that love God. And he also has justified us and glorified us. And those are all present tense things in the mind of God. So what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lend anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Title the message this morning, What God Hath Secured for Us. What God Hath Secured for Us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the promises, the precious, exceeding, great and precious promises that you've given us in your word. Thank you, Father, that we can understand these promises. Father, help us to live them out in everyday life for our good and thy glory until you come for us or call us home. To your praise and honor, we do pray in Jesus' name. Somebody has said, quote, if all we had were the first few chapters of Romans, some might believe that God was against us. But now that Paul has shown the lengths that God went to save man from his wrath and equip him for victory over sin and death, who can doubt that God is for us? Unquote. Of course, Paul, through the Spirit of God, he's the author of the Word of God, he, in this passage, he asks some questions to demonstrate to us what God has secured for us through our Lord Jesus Christ when we trust him as Lord and Savior. So there are five questions, if you will, and I'm going to look at those questions this morning and, and show that God is for us. First of all, in verse 31, he says, What shall we then say to these things? 
If God be for us, who can be against us? So the question really is, who can be against us? That word against us means, that phrase against us means, it's a preposition denoting motion or diffusion or direction from a higher to a lower place. So who can oppose, the idea is, who can oppose us or be down upon us or we might say put you down to a lower position than what you have with our God. Who is it that can put you down to a lower position if God is for us? Of course, we know in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6, the Bible says, He's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we have been elevated to heavenly places. In, in chapter 1 of Ephesians, it says he's blessed, in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So through the gift of salvation, of course, through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been raised to the highest position possible. The highest position possible. Think about it. In the scriptures, we are called the children of God. Chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And again in verse 21, he says, Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of the corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. We are called the children of God. We are called in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 5, the children of light. In Matthew 13, 38, we are called the children of the kingdom. The children of the kingdom. In Romans chapter 1, verse 7, we are called beloved of God. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, we are called kings and priests with God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation 20 and verse 6, again, we are called the priests of God. And 61 times in the New Testament, we are called saints. Saints. Look, at the beginning of almost every epistle Paul writes, for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints. And again, in 2 Corinthians, and you know, we often say, well, the church of Corinth, they were carnal. And Paul did call them carnal, but he also called them saints. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, again, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, under the church of God, was at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1, again, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. And again, in the book of Ephesians itself, the, the word saint is used nine times. In, Colossians, in Philippians chapter 1, he calls them saints. Colossians chapter 1, verse 2, again, he refers to them saints. In, the word saints is used eight times in the book of Romans itself. And Romans 1, 7 says we are called to be saints. You know, we should not live under a cloud of dismal defeat 
uh, uh, you know, well, I'm just a sinner saved Christ. No, if you're born again, you're justified. You're a glorified saint of God. And who can put you down from that place? You know what the word saint means? It means holy one. You see, you and I, when we receive Christ as our Lord as our Lord and Savior, we were made holy in the sight of God. We're the holy ones. We're His holy ones in this world. And so we have this highest position. There's none higher. There is none higher. And if God be for us, who can put you down? Roy Lauren in his commentary in Romans said this, quote, Lest this conviction settle into our thoughts and we become unconquerable. God is for us in our weakness. God is for us in our sickness. God is for us in our moment of depression. When we doubt, God is for us. When we fall, God is for us. When we fail, God is for us. There is no time, no place, no condition in which God is not for us. Let us take courage in this conviction and press on to conspicuous living and serving. Let us allow no thought to disarm us and defeat us because the prevailing attitude of God toward us is that he is for us. Unquote. And we have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He's for us. God is for us. So who can be against us? there's no answer to that question because there isn't anyone what a wonderful place we have in Christ our Lord I want you to notice the second thing we see here verse 32 he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And that's put in a question. Shall he not freely give us all things? You know, if God already has given the ultimate, the greatest gift he can possibly give, why would he withhold from us now the things that we need? Why would he? And the Bible gives us some precious promises in His Word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12, 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 12, the Bible says this, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that, notice, we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Might know the things that are freely given to us of God made reference to Ephesians 1.3 where it says we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. What are those spiritual blessings? Well, go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. 2 Peter 1 verse 1 says, Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that obtain like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, 
Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us the exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and so on. So we have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. You know, everything that we need for an active, vigorous life, being conformed into the divine likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ, is provided for us in His Word. You know what the problem is? The problem is with verse 5, with the word that's three letters, A-D-D. That's not attention deficit deficit. It's add. He says, giving all diligence, add. You see, these divine and exceeding great and precious promises, we add. We add. It's all here. So like an instruction manual. Don't, don't answer this, but how many of you guys, you get something that needs put together? And it comes with an instruction manual. Ah, you don't need that. You know, I had to do this. Done this kind of stuff before. You know, no big deal. And you start putting it together and you run into a problem. Or you get it together and there are pieces left over. The reason you run into a problem or there's pieces left over is because you didn't read the instructions. See, the reason we run into problems that we can't seem to solve is because we haven't read the instructions. We haven't added by diligence. You know, diligence speaks of effort. Effort. Yeah, God's given it all to us. He has freely given us all things that we need for life. Everything that pertains to life. Every issue of life is addressed in this book. And how to live for God is addressed in this book. How to be conformed to the image of Christ. And that's what Romans chapter 8 is talking about. You know, he, he, does, he works all things, the good and the bad, to conform us to the image of the Son. So everything that we need is, is available to us, is freely given to us. It's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's sort of like this. It's the same as picking up the silverware and putting the food in your mouth. And chewing it and the digestive system will use it to meet the needs of your body. But we have to be diligent. We have to pick up the spoon and put the food on the spoon and put it in your mouth. And it has to be some food with some nutrients. <laughs> you know, if you're gonna get your if you're gonna get your spiritual food from the the off scouring of the world, you've got to go to the right source. 
you know, we have to be diligent. That word diligent means interest oneself most earnestly. The Bible says to buy the truth and sell it not. Proverbs tells us to seek after it as one would seek after silver and gold with earnestness. With earnestness. To strive after after it. You know, we want to be like a fruitful tree, vibrant and flourishing, but we won't meditate day and night in the Word of God and become that. We want to be a mighty and faithful like Joshua, but we don't want to observe to do all His commandments. We don't want to take off our shoes and bow to the captain of our salvation and let Him direct our way. You know what that meant for Joshua? That meant marching around the city and doing nothing for seven days. That looked foolish. And God's going to ask some things of you that look foolish to this world. The question is, are you willing to do it? And the world may even say, I've had people say, if you do that, You're going to turn your kids away from the Lord. If you make them go to church, if you make them follow your standards, obey your commands, see, it all looks foolish to the world. Yeah, we somehow, sometimes wish we had better understanding of the issues of life, but we like a little bit of the world. We don't want to be too different. No, the Bible says that we were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. We ought to live as we are. Since we are children of God, we ought to live like we are. In fact, go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give, here's the giving, give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So God wants to reveal all truth to you and understanding. And he says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward Who believe? See, God wants to give us understanding and reveal to us these truths in His his Word, but we must be willing to believe. That word believe is an action word. That means you act on what you know. Act on what He gives. Hey, God will give us freely all things that we need. We must act on. We must seek them. We must add. Give diligent effort. We must seek it, desire it. Someone said the evidence that he will give us all things, present and future, is in the exposition. 
exhibition of his love for us. Unquote. You know, God manifested his love for us. You know, he has proven that he will give us what he has already given to us. What was true of the past is the measure of the present. What has God has already done, he will continue to do. He gave us the best, the ultimate give. Shall he not continue to give us what we need? He will continue to do so. But just like salvation, you have to accept it. You have to receive it. You have to obey it. You know, salvation is an obedience thing. He wrote to the church of Thessalonica, and he said he's going to bring wrath upon those that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall he not freely give us all things? Thirdly, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 33, who charge us? Verse 33 says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. The idea of a charge here is, is who will come forward and accuse or lay a charge against us? Who is it that will accuse us? You know, we have been declared righteous by the judge of heaven and earth who changes not. In Numbers 23, verse 1, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? In 1 Samuel 15, 29, Samuel told Saul, Also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. In Matthew, or Malachi 3, 6, Malachi said, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Because God is the same, he would not destroy that which he promised to preserve. Israel. There will always be a remnant, say. Even though the nation as a whole is against God. There will always be a remnant saved because he said, I would preserve the seed of Abraham. It was a promise that he made. And because he does not change. And God has freely justified us. We see that in the book of Romans in many places. In, in Romans chapter 3 verse 24, it says, But being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. God is both just and the justifier of the guilty. Think of it. He's both just and the justifier of the guilty, he justifies the guilty on the basis of the unjust or the just one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God for our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 6 says, We've been accepted in the beloved. Accepted. 
That word beloved there is the same word. It's only used two times in the New Testament. It's the same word that Mary was referred to. Highly favored. Understand this morning, you are highly favored if you are in Christ Jesus. You're highly favored. You're honored with blessings. You know, who can lay anything to the charge of God? You know, we, we, we've learned from chapter 8 that we have the Spirit of God, verse 26, the Spirit of God who helpeth our infirmities. We have the Son of God, verse 34, who's making intercession for us. And we have God that's justified us. You know, we have the triune God that is for us. Who dares to accuse us? Who dares do it? Kind of reminds me of what Ahasuerus said. Remember when Queen Esther said, my people have been sold? And he said, who is he and where is he that durst do such a thing? Who is he? Well, this wicked Haman type of the devil himself. You know, we got an accuser who dares accuse us night and day before our Heavenly Father. And he's accusing us. He's accusing us. The Bible calls him the old serpent, the devil and Satan. Revelation 12.10 says he accuses the brethren before God day and night. But I want you to know, he loses every case. Because we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And the devil may accuse, he may come and say, and point the finger at you, but the Lord Jesus said, it's not mine. I paid it. That's one of mine. We have an accuser that dare accuse us. But in every case, it was Jesus Christ who rose from the grave, conquering death and hell, breaking Satan's power, and he declares, not guilty, not guilty. And one of these days, that same Lord Jesus will take that old serpent and cast him into the lake of fire for all eternity. Who shall charge God's elect? Fourthly, who can condemn us? Notice verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who is he that condemneth? The word condemneth means to give judgment against, to judge worthy of punishment, of course, to condemn. Who, so who can issue a sentence of judgment upon a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? who died for sinners and for the sins of the world. Who can pass judgment on a people? You know, think about this. How can one pass judgment on a people who love their enemies? Who pray for them which despitefully use them and persecute them? Do you ever think about that there's no universal law in the world or sentence against Bible believers. 
Now, there are, there are laws in some countries that they pass, but there's no, there's no actual crimes. Christians don't commit crimes. Well, they, they do. Some do. But universally, Christians don't practice crime. Why would anyone, let me say it this way, why would anyone or any state condemn the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is what? No law. No law. Our Baptist forefathers were not persecuted for crimes against the state or humanity. Their crime was simply not submitting to the authority of the Pope or the state denominations, the state religions. That was all their crime was. In fact, even their enemies often wrote and said what good people they were. They worked hard. They earned their living. They, they taught their children. They raised families. They were good for society. But they were, in the eyes of the state religions, criminals against the state. And this has been the pattern since New Testament times. You know, a couple weeks ago in Sunday school, what was Paul's crime in the book of Acts? What was he, what was he indicted for? He wasn't indicted for anything. There was no indictment against him. Even as was it Felix or Festus, one of them said, you know, it's some custom about their law. There's no crime that he's committed. He's not guilty of death or imprisonment or anything. It all had to do with his belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you know what? The world is making is working overtime to make it a crime to practice Bible-believing Christianity. And so is our country. Many in our country. This whole sodomite issue and transgender issue and the political, the left, all that is about is shutting us down. We are the problem. You know, the world may condemn us, they may hate us, and they may mock us, and they may make fun of us, holding on to our Christian crutch, so to speak. But the judge of all the, of all the earth has already passed his sentence. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he said, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 
In our head is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Almighty. And who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, that rose again, had victory over death and hell, and has the keys of death and hell. Who is going to condemn us? In fact, he said, and his judgment is final and forever, I will give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. So who can condemn us? Well, I want you to notice the last one, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The word separate means to divide, to divide, or to part, or to put asunder. It's the same thing as in uh, speaking about marriage in Mark chapter 10, verse 9. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder, or part, or divide. And Paul, on the inspiration, lists, gives an exhaustive list, you might say, of things that people would say, could separate us from the love of Christ. Tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. The word tribulation means, a, the idea is a pressing together, or pressure. The pressures of life. You know, there have always been pressures against God's people. Uh, pressures that, to, to make us conformed or make us fit in with the world and, and to go along with their, 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 their agenda. Uh, we've, there's always been that pressure. Uh, there is distress. That, the idea there is extreme affliction or anguish. Uh, persecution really is a campaign to exterminate. A campaign to exterminate. Now we really don't, can't quite comprehend that or relate to that in our country. I believe it's coming. But in some parts of the world, oh, there's a, there's a, a very great campaign to exterminate Christians in Africa, places in Africa, India, China, North Korea. They know firsthand the persecution or the desire to exterminate. Famine or hunger. There, there are places where they're, they're, they are in hunger. Nakedness. Now this term, somebody said this term today suggests indecency on parade, but then it meant a lack of clothes simply because no one had ways or means of getting any. You know, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus brings it to thee. Why, Timothy? Because I'm cold. He didn't have sufficient clothing. He knew what it was. He wasn't completely naked, but he didn't have enough garments to keep him warm. Peril. Danger. Danger of loss or injury. Some people in this country can relate to that. Some have lost jobs because of their faith. Some have lost their businesses because of their faith, simply because they wouldn't bake a cake or make pizzas. That's peril. 
Then we got this terrorist terrorizing people who differ with their opinions outside their doors and at night. Even conservative news reporters being terrorized. That's peril. Sword that speaks of execution. You know, Paul had really experienced all of these except the sword at this point. Go to back go to Second Corinthians chapter eleven. Second Corinthians chapter eleven. And verse twenty three. He says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more than labors more abundant and stripes above measure and prisons more frequent and deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. You see, Paul had experienced all of these, except he hadn't been put to the sword yet, although he had been beaten and left for dead. You know, the world continues to pressure us with the moral and political degeneracy of our culture, there's a persecution that's fomenting in our society, the unrest. And the justification of it by the left and the media is unprecedented. Well, that's how they express themselves. Well, when my kids expressed themselves that way, there were consequences. You know, there can be an a destruction of people and property and is excused. You know, it's how they're heard. And that's what Paul says here in verse 36. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. And I've often pondered, pondered that phrase in the midst of this passage. We're killed all the day long. And, and that phrase, we are killed all the day long, it's a rhetorical hyperbole. A rhetorical hyperbole. In other words, it's an exaggeration on exaggeration. Basically is what it is. It means to be in the state of one who is being put to death. So he said, we're, I'm continually, we are continually in the state of one that's being put to death. We're not being, we're not, we, don't, we don't die, but we're continually in that state. You know, we are to die every day to self. And if you're going to live a Christian life, biblically, there's a cost to it. There's a dying daily to it. You can't live after the flesh or live for yourself and please God. You know, Paul wrote to the churches in Acts 14, 22, he said, you know, speaking of Barnabas there, it says, confirming the soul's disciples, exhorting them to continue in faith, and that we through must, through much tribulation, 
enter into the kingdom of God. There's a tribulation that goes along with following Christ. In 2 Corinthians 4.10, he says, Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Again, not living for yourself, but living for the Lord. Being a witness for the Lord will bring its tribulations and its trials from the world. There are going to be those who will oppose you. So to continue in that, you're going to have to die to your own self. Kill yourself every day, if you will. Hebrews 13, 13, let us go therefore, forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. You know, Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, makes an interesting statement. And, you know, it's, it's, he raises a question that you, you would think, you know, yeah, that would be true, but it's not. In 1 Peter 3, 13, he says, And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that is, which is good? You know, the natural thinking is, if you're a good Christian, who would harm you? You want me to tell you all about them? We'll be here a while. There's a lot of would harm you. But if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you, and be not afraid of the terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that ask if you are reason of the hope that is in you with meekness of fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. So, so we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter, but we are also more than conquerors through him that loved us. Notice verse 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, we are, you know, though we are counted as sheep for the slaughter, we are dying daily, we are more than conquerors through Him. Because nothing can separate us. Death can't separate us from God. What is death to the child of God? It's the vehicle to take us from this sin-cursed earth to heaven. To be with God. They say that one time a couple guys picked up John R. Rice. He got preaching a little too hot on the liquor trade. And they threatened him. And he said, you can't threaten me with heaven. And they didn't know what to do. So they let him go. See, death's just a vehicle for us to get from this world of its tribulation and trial to glory. 
from afflictions to heaven in the presence of our Father. Death, life, life with us trials, life's trials need not undo us. We have the Spirit of God who helpeth our infirmities. We have our Lord who intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father, who understands our infirmities, who is in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And who knows all about us. We don't have to fear to come before him. He already knows everything about you. There's nothing hid from him. So don't act ashamed and embarrassed. He already knows it. He already knows it. And he's there to help us. To intercede for us. Not condemn us. He died for us. Angels, principalities, the word principalities refers to demons, powers, the word powers could be governments, might, wealth, anything that has power. Media, a lot of, media has a lot of power. Things present or things to come, the trials of the day or the anxiety about the future. You know, we don't need to worry about it. It's all in God's hand. Height, things elevated of space or barriers, the idea of barriers, nor depth, things deep, extreme poverty. None of these things can separate us. None of these things can change our position or our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We are children of God through faith in the Son of God, who has conquered death for us and given us power or authority to become the sons of God, joint heirs with Christ, with the King of kings and Lord of lords. Who can charge us? What can separate us? Who can condemn us? And since he died for us, he will freely give us all these things. Yet we are more than conquerors through him. So that, that brings me and myself and I to a question. Why do I get discouraged? Right? Why should we get discouraged? We have as it were, we have it all. We have it all. And it's ours right now. And if you can enjoy it now, just think what's ahead. Because ahead, there will be no body aches. There's going to be a no emotional pain. None of that. That's what's ahead.
So we are. We are more than conquerors. Nothing can harm us. Nothing can separate us. They can kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul or the spirit. And Jesus said, fear not him that can kill the body. Because that's all they can do. Yeah, they cut Paul's head off. But they couldn't take away his heavenly head. Oh, we are more than conquerors through him. So let's live it out. Let's live out who we are. Let's not fear. You know, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5, 13, 5 and 6 says, Let the conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You know, Jeremiah said, who is man to be accounted of in whose nostrils is the breath of life? We shouldn't worry about man. We're more than conquerors through him. Might God help us to encourage ourselves, ourselves in what we have in Christ, what he has secured for us, and go forward and live unconcerned about what the world does or how it reacts, knowing that we are in his hands, that he is for us. In our position is securing him.